The Heather McCoy Show. And welcome to the Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment today, we'll be doing our Women's World Cup Roundup with our LA Times reporter, Kevin Baxter. He's been covering the tournament for the paper. Then to round out the hour, we'll take another visit to the other side of the Cleveland National Forest with Robert Larson. But first, we'll start off with our regular contributor, the blogger behind com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. I love the fact that you're, you're approaching the point where you can run all that together as one word. Yeah. <laughs> the blogger behind Field of Schemes... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm approaching the point where it's just like I'm getting so good at reading on the air. Um, it's almost like blah, 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 blah. so I've got to. <laughs> it's okay. Everybody knows what we mean, right? If, they, if they don't know who I am by now, then yeah. they'll catch up. Yeah, if they don't exactly. Um, in the city of uh, Milwaukee, the Bucks Arena vote is already on shaky ground, as we've covered previously. The arena um, funding was taken out of the state of Wisconsin budget and put into its own separate bill because a number of right. Republicans were planning to vote against the bill. So the arena needs some Democratic votes, and that party's people don't seem to be too inclined to vote for it either. So there is some horse trading to do to get this through. Uh, what has horse trading looked like in the past to get these things through? And there, is there any way to keep track of the pork? And uh, what will be going to each district to get their votes, representatives oh. to switch votes? Yeah, I mean, it could be anything, right? I mean, who was the, I'm trying to remember if it was a city or county commissioner in Miami with the Marlins deal who just up and said, okay, you have to approve a whole bunch of money for my district if you want me to vote for this. Um, and unusually for this sort of situation, she didn't say this in a, some sort of closed-door meeting, you know, and then come out and say, you know, oh, my goodness, I've realized I need to vote for this bill. She said it, like, out in public. <laughs> oh, so really? it was great because everybody could just see that, um, you know, what the price was for a vote. Um, and, and nothing really seemed to befall her, I don't think. You know, no one, no one charged her with... Uh, with, you know, selling her vote for favors or anything. It was just like, oh, yeah, that's what happens. Um, so, I, you know, it, it kind of depends on how many votes they are away from getting this approved. The last numbers that they were talking about were like three or four in the Senate and 10 or 15 in the Assembly. Um, but that's just how many Democratic votes they need total, right? So if there's already a handful of Democrats in Milwaukee who are willing to vote for this because they're afraid, oh, my goodness, the Bucks are going to move to Seattle, um, if we don't approve this right now, then maybe there'll only be a few more votes. There'll only be a few more votes they have to pick up, and then you know, I mean, it really is just a matter of picking up the phone and calling somebody and saying, "Hi, what do we have to offer you?" Um, and we probably will never know exactly what was offered. Although hopefully, you know, some of the more intrepid reporters up in Wisconsin, and I think there are still a few, will later on track down and say, "Oh, hey, look." This assembly person from somewhere way up in the north of Wisconsin just got uh, a bunch of money approved for no good reason. Um, wonder if that had something to do with their voting for the bill. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the Bucks president finally had to make an overt threat to move the team to uh, Seattle or Las Vegas, I think that means this arena vote is on very thin ice at the current present time. Um, well, it's, it's on thin ice. I mean, we know it's yeah. on thin ice, right? I mean, you know, we're, we're definitely talking, uh, talking, you know, uh, Greek default vote territory, right? In terms of, <laughs> yeah. in terms of nobody knowing what's going to happen. Um, but it, it, it's the kind of big gun that team owners pretty much always pull out. Um, and it's been kind of the, the assumption behind all this, you know, when the, Proponents of the arena deal are continually saying, "Oh, the Bucks are going to leave if this doesn't happen. The Bucks are going to leave if this doesn't happen." 
So you need to have somebody to remind the public, you know, the books, box can leave if this doesn't happen. Um, and they, you know, probably would have preferred to have somebody from the NBA say it, but, you know, there was a legislative hearing coming up, and maybe uh, Adam Silver or one of his henchmen wasn't available on short notice, so um, taking the... the, uh, the uh, um, Vice president of the team, uh, Peter Fagan, said, you know, came in and said, oh, you know, Las Vegas and Seattle are out there, and the NBA could move it. wouldn't be us, but the NBA could buy the team and move it because we put that clause in saying the NBA can levy threats for us, you know. Um, it, it really is amazing the way they've managed to figure out a way to hold the, a gun to the head of Wisconsin taxpayers and say, hey, it's not us with our finger on the trigger. Yeah, it's, it's, it's NBA league office. Yeah, it's amazing how they've kind of put that in the league offices camp, and they're playing kind of good cop, bad cop. Hey, we want to stay, but it's in our contract. Um, it's kind of a to me that's a new negotiating thing that um, wasn't in your book, and you've had to update it on the blog. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's a new wrinkle. I mean, they it they've is, yeah. used the league, you know, threatening. The league wouldn't be happy with us before, you know. I think the Packers did that at one point where they sort of alleged, well, you know, if we don't get upgrades to Lambeau Field, the league might try and pull the franchise. Um, I remember minor league teams have done that. Um, the Toledo Mudhens, who were owned by the city, still managed to get um, <laughs> subsidies by claiming, oh, the league will just, you know, pick up the franchise and take it somewhere else if we uh, if we don't approve, uh, you know, if we don't approve money. So it, it, there have been different twists on it before, but this is definitely the, the most fully um, fleshed out um, use of it on the major league level. And I imagine it is not going to be the last because it certainly seems to be working really well for the Bucks owners. Yeah, and it limits your exposure to negative PR if, if you uh, remain. It's not like some fans are like, well, they did, you know, they were threatening me. I don't appreciate that. And it doesn't seem to threaten the fan base. It's, you can push it off on the league office. So I think that. I think for PR reasons alone, that's brilliant. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was just actually looking up for a, a Vice piece that I just wrote that should be up in an hour, hour or two about this. Um, the, um, you know, Howard Schultz, when he did the sim- a similar thing with the, with the Sonics in Seattle, right? Um, but he did it himself. When he didn't get an arena deal, he sold the team to Clay Bennett and who moved it to Oklahoma City. And, you know, search for... Howard Schultz and most hated Seattle, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you will get a long, long list of hits because you know everybody remembers him as the guy who sold the who sold the um, you know the Sonics out of town. Um, yet, you know, no one seems to really be pinning this on Lazarus Edens, the Bucks owners, because oh well, you know, what are they going to do? The NBA is twisting their arms. Yeah, I also remember the Seattle Sonics former owner as the guy who gave his WNBA team like $15 gift cards to tar or for to um what is it? Starbucks for winning a championship. It's just like, wow, you're so cheap. Yeah, I mean, there are lots of reasons to hate Howard Schultz. I shouldn't, I shouldn't you know, make yeah. it sound like this is the only terrible thing that he's done, but yeah. it certainly didn't help. No, it didn't help. Um, in Seattle, Key staying in that city, Key Bank has not paid for the naming rights of the arena, currently known as Key Rest Arena, since the Sonics left Seattle. This reminds me of the arena contract the Red Wings had with Joe Louis Arena, where the city was entitled to a percentage of cable money, if I'm not mistaken, and that clause is in the contract, but it was never made payable to the city. 
Um, we have seen some cities become more assertive with their lease agreements. Do you think that this tiny snowball will eventually turn into an avalanche? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, if Seattle's not doing it right, Seattle has, has had certainly one of the city councils that's been the most, uh, the most uh, aggressive about this, although I guess the, the city council doesn't directly run the arena, so it's up to the arena management people, right, to decide whether to try and get Key to actually pay this. Or rather, you know, Key, Key said that a few years ago, we don't want to pay for the naming rights to this anymore, right, because the Sonics aren't there. And what's ridiculous is that they haven't then either tried to resell the name or, more importantly, taken the name down yeah. while they're right. While because it, it's it's terrible leverage, right? If you're uh, if you're you know if you want somebody to renew a contract, right? And Key could have renewed. They could have negotiated something, right? They could have said, oh, um, you know, we'll just cut the the price if if you'll leave our name up for a little while while you you know go to year to year or something on it. Uh, but of course they're not going to pay. I don't know a million dollars a year, five hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, whatever, thirty dollars a year. If their name is going to stay on it anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, it it just baffles me sometimes how people who you know work for cities and run these uh, and you know deal with the sports industry seem to have no clue how to manage it. You know, I mean, if if somebody working for a sports team left that much money on the table, um, they would be fired instantly. But, you know, cities can just say, oh, well, you know, it would be hard, so we're not going to do anything <laughs> Yeah. Um, and just to tell you, for the show, Lucid, there was a lawsuit we were talking about in Cobb County that challenged the use of Cobb County's uh, bond power as far as issuing them, saying it was illegal in the Atlanta Braves case because it was a private stadium not built for public pur- purpose, but that lawsuit just got shut down. Um, will we ever see a stadium lawsuit like this succeed and make it to the Supreme Court, perhaps, and have a precedent-setting lawsuit where this will change for the better? Oh, ever? Uh, I don't know how long you're planning to live. Well, I, uh, I wasn't counting on this Supreme Court because even though they've ruled for gay marriage, they're very corporate-friendly. So I yeah, wouldn't, I mean, yeah. right, right now, you know, you can pretty much justify anything in any court on the grounds of... Uh, economic development is a public purpose. Um, and, you know, this all goes back to, I guess, that uh, New London eminent uh, domain case, right, where they seized the property for a private use, but they said, well, for a private company to use, but they said, well, um, we're going to, you know, it'll, it'll benefit the city so be, to have a private company operating there, so therefore it's a public purpose. Um, and, you know, courts have ever since then really just, approved anything as a public purpose. Um, I think there's a legitimate, I mean, you know, again, I'm not a lawyer, but I think there's a legitimate legal argument that that's insane. But (laughs) um, right now, all the precedent is uh, to say, hey, you know, if cities want to do this, we're not going to be the ones to to stand in their way. Um, So I think... I think you would need to have a massive public groundswell against it on the order of gay marriage. Um, not against gay marriage, you know what I'm saying. Against, against uh, in, a massive public groundswell in favor of um, limiting um, the public purpose excuse in the same way that there's been a public groundswell, you know, big C change in, in support for gay marriage. Um, 
I think that that at that point maybe the courts will start to listen, but you know they're they're not going to be the ones to take a lead on this. Oh, definitely not. Um, lastly, as part of your vacation last week, you went to Olympic Stadium to see the women's World Cup match between Germany and the U.S. First, that was one hell of a game. Second, um, Olympic Stadium is always being named as one of the worst stadiums ever. Um, it's some place I've always wanted to see a game. Um, what was your experience like for a stadium that's allegedly obsolete and outdated and all the other adjectives you can throw at it? You know, I thought it was fine. I'd been there once before for an Expos game, so this was, you know, 14 years ago. Um, and um, I didn't love it, mostly because it was, you know, an indoor stadium, and I think indoor stadiums are pretty lousy for, for baseball. I'm not a big fan of the of the retractable roof ones either. Um but, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't love it then. It was kind of weird and quirky, and you, they have these weird plastic seats that if there's nobody sitting in front of you, you can, like, put your foot on them and bang them, um, <laughs> the, the bottom of the seat against the back of the seat. There's, like, this weird technique that you use, and the fans. Whoops. And we've lost them. Uh, so we're going to try calling him back real fast. Anyways, this is 88.9 KCIF from Irvine, and uh, in our second segment, we will be talking with uh, Kevin Baxter about Women's World Cup, and I am going to try to call that him again. One second. Um, that was weird. So um, anyways, yeah, so yeah, Women's World Cup was quite awesome, and let's see if we have him back on the phone. That's not a very good sign. Um, let's try this one more time. Uh, dialing on the air. This is always exciting. So let's get this going again. And then seeing if we can get there. Dialing Neil DeMoss from Brooklyn, USA. Let's see if we got this back. Hello? Oh, hey, we're back. So, um... Hello? Yeah. Here we are. Yeah, we were back. So, um, I don't know what happened there. You were talking about you're playing with a seat in front of you with your feet. I can do that at um, Home Depot Center or StubHub Center or whatever the hell it's called. So I, I, I'm not sure if that's unique to that stadium or not. Yeah, no, it was, it's just one of the one of the sort of weird attractions. I mean, for <laughs> soccer, I thought it was great. You know, if you're going to play a soccer match in front of 50,000 people, um, that's as good a place as any. Um, and the sight lines were fine, and it was a fine experience. Um, you know, it could have used some upgrades in the concessions. Um, there wasn't a lot of concessions available that could have used. It, it needs a renovation. Um, but, you know, again, when we have these older stadiums, nobody says, oh, my goodness, you know, what can we do to try and improve it? It's maybe not ideal, but at least, you know, it's already there. We have it. Let's see if we can do something to, to spiff it up. It's all how can we replace it. Um, and I... I think that if Olympic Stadium, which is seen as, you know, one of the worst stadiums ever, is a perfectly fine place to see an event, um, and again, could be made better with a, a little bit of, uh, of attention, then I think certainly a place like, I don't know, the Bradley Center in Milwaukee or, uh, or uh, Turner Field in Atlanta or any of the places that are getting, that are getting you know, abandoned after uh, less than 30 years, certainly you could do a lot to improve those. But again, nobody's looking at that option because it's all, you know, their eyes are all on the prize of, of can we get money for a brand new place. I just think it's really cool that that stadium had the nickname of the Big O. I don't think um, any stadium, no matter how badly it's financed, like the Florida Marlins Stadium, 
would ever get the nickname the Big O in the U.S. because the awareness isn't there. Well, you know, I think it was the Big O originally for Olympic, and then they, they you know, somebody realized, oh, hey, there's a word O that's also spelled that way. <laughs> um, and but you know it was it was it was a huge controversy at the time. I think the mayor of uh, the mayor of uh, uh, Montreal was quoted as saying, "This this Olympics can no sooner lose money than a man could have a baby," which led to lots of funny uh, uh, editorial cartoons when the uh, Montreal Olympics wound up losing tons and tons of money. <laughs> um, so it, it, yeah, I mean there was there was more more I guess yeah it, it, they admitted more in those days the thing had had gone had gone way way over budget and had lost lots of money but you know again it's there um, and the question should be what do you do with it and I'm kind of happy that Montreal has found a way to use to use the stadium um, for uh, you know for a little bit of soccer a little bit of football um, things like that um, and I wonder if. You know, I, I you know I wonder if you could move a major league baseball team there and they would still be successful again if you did some rehabbing of the thing. And I, that's never going to happen because everybody is always looking for a new stadium. But again, I wonder if it would would be marketable. I think it would be. Um, Neil DeMoss, he runs fillthescheme dot com and wrote a co-wrote a book by the same name. Thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Talk next week. Okay, and of course, this is the Heather McCoy show.